Happy first Sunday of the new year. How's it going so far? I started off the new year on Wednesday by having to take my car to the dealer to have a headlight replaced. Uh, there's something actually comforting about that because, you know, they always give the car once over to make sure that there's nothing else going wrong. They check the brakes, the exhaust, the fuel injectors, and all the rest. And, and that's comforting for me to know because that, that means my car's in optimal shape and I don't need to worry about having some major breakdown. You know, I am not big on making New Year's resolutions, but I do think the beginning of a new year is a good time to kind of give my life a good once-over. To take a look under the hood, kick the tires, so to speak, uh, you know, to make sure my life is in optimal shape and I'm not headed for some kind of a breakdown. You know what I mean? And there are common areas that people often look at as they begin a new year. Diet, I mean, that's number one. Lose some of the poundage after the holiday binge. Exercise, that's number two. Time to get in shape. That's why gym memberships are usually cheapest in January. You know, third is to kind of do a once-over on your personal finances. You know, that's an area that causes a lot of people stress. You know, trying to live on a budget, that credit card debt that's getting out of control. Uh, money creates a lot of tension in marriages. Couples, you know, they argue a lot about money. And as an aside, if, if any of that is true for you, and as a Christian, you want to be a good steward of the resources God has given you. I'm, I'm thrilled to tell you that in February, we're going to be hosting a great program on Christian financial planning called Financial Peace University. It's taught by Dave Ramsey and his team of financial experts using videos and online tools and resources. It'll be on Wednesday nights beginning February 6th. And you can read about that in your bulletin this morning and register on our website, thecornernj.com. If, if personal finances is a hot-button issue for you or, or you've never had a good education on biblical financial, financial principles, then I really encourage you to attend uh, the Financial Peace University. It's, it's the best material out there. It will really be a blessing to your life. But after diet, exercise, and finances, the fourth area to kind of look at in giving your life a good once-over uh, in is your relationships. How healthy are your relationships? In your family, your workplace, with your friends, uh, isn't that the area where we experience so much stress and struggle and disappointment? The quality of our relationships often determines how we feel about life. You know, we say we want more fulfillment, more connection, more intimacy, more joy, more stability, you know, more communication, but you know, too often we end up doing the things that seem just to make it worse. We do what is counterproductive. We're not very smart at when it comes to taking care of our most important relationships. And that's really what our new message series is all about, finding God's hope for our relationships. So if you're married or single, old or young, whatever your situation, your relationships are key to life. And God has a lot to say about how to create and sustain healthy, satisfying relationships. The Bible has a lot of wisdom on this topic. Principles that if we really pay attention to them and put them into practice, our relationships will improve. Wisdom principles. You know, now a principle is different than a law. Principles are things that are generally true. 95% of the time, they're true. Principles are a way of describing how life will normally play out in most cases. That's what the whole book of Proverbs is all about. But there can be exceptions to the rule. Laws, on the other hand, are true every time. Like the law of gravity, you hold a bowling ball over your big toe and let it go, it will fall every time. And you could do that a million times and it's always going to smash your toe. 
That's a law. A principle describes what happens in most cases. And one of the best sections of the Bible that gives us principles for our relationships, whether it's in marriage or friendship, getting along with people in the workplace or school or any relationship really, is James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. In it, James points out the number one reason why we have difficulty in our relationships. And then he gives six principles or, or character qualities to help us be smart in our relationships. Let me read that passage for you now from the book of James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen. Have you got any chaos going on in your life? Any place where you have disorder or confusion in your relationships? James tells us that whatever you find confusion and disharmony, disorder, that's ego. He calls it selfish ambition. It's, it's ego, it's the big I. Whether it's in the office or at home or at school, wherever you find jealousy or competition or people trying to control each other, that's ego. That's what inevitably, inevitably happens when imperfect people interact with each other. Our ego comes out. Our ego, the part of us that makes us want to be in charge, want to control others, that makes us fearful so we try to protect ourselves when we feel threatened. It's ego that compels us into conflict with other egos because we want to get our own way. When we interact with other people, we find they don't always agree with us or see things our way, and they may not be willing to go along with doing things the way we want. Conflict ensues when egos collide because we're all imperfect people with all our own emotional bruises and baggage that we've collected since childhood. And if you want to be wise in your relationships, then you have to face that right up front. You have to be able to make an honest assessment of yourself, of your own ego, of how you treat people, of how you react to stress, uh, of your level of anger and frustration. Without that kind of self-awareness, it's really hard to make any progress in improving your relationships because... <clears throat> it's always going to be somebody else's fault. If you're not aware of your own ego, your own neediness and selfishness, then you're always going to blame others when things aren't working. You can be a brilliant scientist, you know, make millions on Wall Street, bench press double your body weight, uh, but you, your relational life can just be a mess. You can be smart and clever and strong and still not be wise in your relationships because it's not about your diploma or your portfolio, it's about your character and your disposition. What was it Jesus said? What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Mark 8, 36. What good is it to have, uh, to, to be at the top of the heap and your kids don't know who you are, and worse than that, they don't care? What good is it to climb the job ladder if you have to do it by stepping on others? What good is it to be so controlling that you end up alienating the people who used to be your friends? What good is it to be uh, to kind of successfully raise your kids and then when they move out you discover that 
you and your spouse don't know each other anymore because parenting defined your relationships. You know, that empty net divorce is all too common in our area from parents who are so devoted to their kids that they forget about each other. That happens when we turn our children into idols, when our ego as adults depends on the success of our children. You see, we really do need God's wisdom to build healthy relationships. So let me walk through the six principles that James outlines just in verse 17. Think of these as a foundation to build a healthy relationship. You know, with a girlfriend, husband, boss, employee, friend, these principles work in every relationship. And James starts with verse 17 this way. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Pure. What, is it, what does it mean to be pure in relationships? Maybe the word that we would use today is integrity. Integrity means the quality of being honest. It means being whole and, and undivided, truthful. Integrity means that you can be trusted. All healthy relationships are built on trust. If there's no trust, there's no relationship. If trust has been broken, it is very difficult to restore the relationship. It can be done, but it's very hard and it usually takes a long time. When a person lies repeatedly, if they're not truthful, if their words cannot be trusted, then the relationship is going to get frozen at that level. Nothing sabotages relationships more than people who, who don't mean what they say and don't say what they mean. Let me say that again. Nothing sabotages relationships more than when people don't say what they mean and don't mean what they say. That kind of game playing with half-truths or bold-faced lies, if you're lying to the people in your life, you are poisoning those relationships. Have you ever heard of Leonard Keeler? He was the co-inventor of the polygraph, the lie detector. During his lifetime, he tested over 25,000 people on the lie detector. And he wrote about his conclusions about humanity, and they were pretty grim. He wrote that everybody lies, that human beings are by nature dishonest, that we lie to God, we lie to other people, and we lie to ourselves all the time. Keeler believed that we all have this amazing ability to tell ourselves things that aren't true and convince ourselves that they are true. Not only do we lie to others, we lie to ourselves all the time. We think we're right when we're not. And James says we've got to confront that tendency right up front. We've got to bring purity and truthfulness to our relationships. We have to be honest with ourselves about ourselves and honest with others if we want those relationships to be healthy. The second wisdom principle is to be peace-loving. Wise people are peacemakers, not troublemakers. Wise people don't carry a chip on their shoulder. If you want to have healthier relationships, then don't go looking for a fight. Some folks are really good at provoking anger. They know how to push the buttons, right? And maybe you do that. You, you know what hot buttons to push to antagonize someone, and you, you egg them on because if you can get them angry or lose control, then you feel like you won. You ever get caught up in that game? You know what irritates the other person? You do it or say it intentionally just to set off the fireworks, and then you can claim to be the victim. It's a bait and switch. And it happens all the time in unhealthy relationships. And the Bible says that's stupid. That's stupid if you want the relationship to get better. But if you want to destroy the relationship, then keep on poking people and provoking people. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, Any fool can start an argument. The wise person stays out of them. So don't go looking to start arguments. And don't let other people suck you in. Don't take the bait. 
when they try to push your buttons and make you lose your cool. It's like getting into an argument with someone online. An internet troll says something off the wall and you get all worked up about it. Then you get baited into arguing with them online. You don't even care about that person. But you get baited. So don't let other people control you by drawing you into those kind of arguments. Be the person of peace. And if necessary, you may have to walk away or just close your computer. You're never going to win that kind of argument anyway, so it's better just to walk away. Proverbs 14.29 says, A wise person controls his or her temper knowing that anger causes mistakes. The third principle for healthy relationships is to be considerate. Being considerate simply means being mindful of the feelings of others. Not just their words, but the feelings behind the words. If you're considerate, even when someone blasts you, you can look behind, beyond their words and consider what might be causing them to be that way. Being considerate allows you to look past the words and maybe not take them so personally. Allow the words to kind of, kind of roll just past you, like you're the rock in the stream and you just let the water rush past. Being mindful of the feelings of others helps you to stay in a good place and ask kind of what caused them to be so uptight, so irritated, or so rude. Because hurt people always hurt other people. Hurt people hurt other people. Unkind people are those who probably need your kindness the most. They need massive doses of kindness. When people are rude and unkind, they're actually kind of screaming to the world, I'm in pain, I'm frustrated. Rudeness in relationships can usually manifest itself in what I call the three C's, comparing, condemning, contradicting. Comparing. You're just like your mother. That is never helpful. Okay? Condemning. You're such a loser. Uh, that's not good either. Contradicting. That's not what happened. You shouldn't feel that way. Comparing, condemning, contradicting. Those three habits kill communication and just magnify the divide. If you talk to your family or friends that way, you are punching a hole in the bottom of your own boat. Being considerate means you let your girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, parents, children, you let them feel what they feel without minimizing it. You let them feel tired when they're tired. You let them feel depressed when they're depressed. You let them feel angry or alone or scared when they feel that way. Considerate people offer kind words, not remedies. The fourth principle is that you're willing to yield to others. James says you're submissive. That is not a popular word in our push your way to the front of the line world, is it? But one of the healthy ways to think about submission or to express submission in yielding to others is in how you listen. A willingness just to listen to others. The wiser you are, the better listener you'll be. And I really struggle with this. I tend to finish other people's sentences for them. And that's not very smart because I'm not letting people say what they want to say. And I may not be hearing what I really need to hear. When they're talking, I'm already preparing my response and I'm not listening to what's being said. Often that's why people simply miss each other when they're talking. They don't connect because neither one of them is really listening to the other. Submission beings willing, being, being able to kind of yield the floor. To let the other person talk and really pay attention to what is being said without then turning it into a debate. Fifth, uh, James says, good relationships are full of mercy and deeds. You should highlight that word mercy in your Bible or your Bible app because if we ever hope to have healthy relationships, we need to major in mercy. 
In other words, it's smart to show grace to people when they mess up and blow it and sin and fumble and fail. It is wise to show mercy because there will be times when you need mercy from others. Think about it this way. Who's the most powerful person in the universe? Well, of course, God. Well, who's the most merciful person in the universe? God. So anytime you're merciful, you're emulating or imitating how God treats you. And that's just smart. It's smart to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's smart to show grace, to show mercy, to be forgiving, to cut people some slack. Everything you have is a gift from God, right? Your next breath is because of the mercy of God. You couldn't live another second if it weren't for the mercy of God. Everything we have is because God is a merciful and gracious God. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy. And if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be here. I mean, we'd be gone in an instant. God gives us what we don't deserve. That's mercy. And so it's smart to give mercy to others, especially when they don't deserve it. So don't keep bringing up past mistakes. Don't keep pulling out that long list of past sins. A merciful person doesn't rub it in or hold it over the other person's head like a club. So let me ask you, how, how would you rate yourself on mercy? Do you jump on every fault or blunder? Are you always picking at people, always pointing out their errors, their mistakes? Do you continually bring up the past? Do you keep track of every single little sin or misstep that your husband or wife or co-worker has done? You store up all that ammunition for your next verbal war? Proverbs 17.9 says, Love forgets past mistakes, but nagging about them will only separate the best of friends. Be merciful and full of good deeds. Finally, James says that in a healthy relationship, you need to be, learn to be impartial and sincere. Those two words in the original Greek are, are almost exactly the same. They sound almost exactly alike, impartial and sincere. The ancient Greeks, they loved the theater. Comedies, tragedies, you know, Plato, Socrates, all those guys, they all wrote famous plays. In the ancient Greek theater, one person would often play many parts, and he'd come out wearing a mask, and he'd say his lines, and then he'd go, you know, behind the stage, get another mask, and come back out, and he'd play a different character. Then he'd go back behind the stage and get a third mask and come back out. He's playing many different roles and wearing many masks. The word in Greek for that person was hypocritos, from which we get the word hypocrite. It literally means he wears a mask. He's always acting a different role. James's words, impartial and sincere, are the exact opposite of that. They mean you're genuine, that you're not a hypocrite wearing many masks. You're the real deal. The word we'd use today is authentic. If we want our relationships to be healthy, then you can't play games. You can't wear a mask. You can't fake it. You can't pretend. You can't try to be somebody that you're not. You can't, uh, you know, treat people that way. If you're authentic, you're going to say, I won't lie to you. I won't cheat you. I won't trick you. I won't fake you out. I won't take advantage of you. I won't deliberately mislead you. To keep your relationships healthy, you can't be a fake or a fraud. You have to be authentic, genuine. What you see is what you get. Not like your social media profile where everything is perfect and grandiose. The real you. But the problem is that can be kind of scary because we all carry a certain level of insecurity deep within. And that's where Christ has to come in. He's the one who can help us to take a good look inside, to, to see our ego, our issues, our anger, our pretensions, and our half-truths, the way that we've lied to ourselves, the way we try to protect ourselves. 
the way we sometimes not sure of who we are because we wear so many masks. Jesus knows the real you, and he loves you just as you are. Jesus loves you just as you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He has mercy for you and for me. And when we can access that mercy for ourselves, that's when authentic relationships can begin. It's often said that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. We get right with God, that's first. We put our lives in Christ's hands. We receive his mercy. And his mercy acts like a safety net so that we can go through the other parts of our life with sort of a godly confidence. We get right with Christ and then he gives us the strength to get it right with others. That's how relationships can become healthy and strong. Purity, and integrity, peace-pursuing, considerate, submissive, sincere. I mean, those are all qualities that we see in Jesus. And so as we grow closer to him, we become more like him. And his character qualities become the building blocks of our healthier relationships. Is there one of those that you need to work on most? Start praying about it for 2019. Ask the Lord to give you an honest look inside your own heart. Make this year one in which your relationships are positively influenced by Jesus Christ alive in you. Let's pray. Lord, we want our relationships to be healthy, but sometimes we don't want to go through the, the struggle of actually looking at ourselves, changing the way we behave, the way we treat people, in order to achieve healthier relationships. Help us to draw near to you, Lord Jesus, become more like you, and because of that relationship, find the courage and the strength to have healthier relationships with others. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.